Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. One more Zoom edition, buddy, and I think we'll be done for the foreseeable future over the less than optimal setup, I hope. What's up? Not much. It's been quiet. Has it been a week? Tuesday to Wednesday? (laughs) Yeah, a little over a week. Dude, I don't know. I was in health and safety protocols during all of this, so except for today was like officially me exiting them, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, it's been, I've been dealing with COVID and then all, all of this Robert Sarver stuff happening in the middle of it. So it's been, it's been quite the whirlwind for me. I couldn't even tell you it's been two weeks, 10 days, something like that. Tuesday, last Tuesday was Kevin going to work thinking it's going to be a nice quiet Tuesday. Um, and it wasn't today is Wednesday and quiet Wednesday. Then it wasn't. Then it wasn't. Uh, Let's get into it. So we podcasted on that Tuesday and pretty much the entire news cycle occurred. It's it's pretty crazy how we were. We left it so open ended because this was going to be a thing. This was not just like the end of it. It was the beginning, but it was just a matter of how much developed until the next time we talked. And it turned out the entire story pretty much. Now, there are a couple of things left to be wrapped up, but Today's news was that Robert Sarver is seeking buyers for the Phoenix Suns and Mercury. That's how he phrased it, which, a.k.a., he is selling the team. He is gone. He is departing. He is exiting the team. Since we last talked, Adam Silver had a press held a press conference, which, uh, to, to put it lightly, did not go well, Kevin. At, at one point, he uh, said, basically, that, yeah, owners can do stuff differently than people who have jobs because they own something. <laughs> and, then, and then they had to release a statement that was like, actually, <laughs> no. Wait, we'll take back the literal thing he said, but that that that's a story for another day. We don't really have to get into that. Chris Paul and LeBron James come out uh, against Robert Sarver, and I think that was really what started to get the ball rolling. I know that Zach Lowe, when he and Baxter Holmes were discussing this, I only listened to the beginning of their podcast, but I, I remember Zach saying for the people that he was talking to, league sources and all that kind of stuff, there was a sense, uh, and I hope I'm not butchering exactly what he was reporting here, but there was a sense that this was something that not necessarily was going to blow over, but wasn't going to turn into this humongous thing. I was like, okay, there's the slap on the wrist, the one-year suspension, then it's going to go. But he said that once Chris and LeBron spoke out, that was something where it's like, oh, is this going to start to become a thing? And then Jean Najafi comes out the next day uh, and and calls for Sarver's reg- resignation, which is to be clear, not what Chris Paul and LeBron James did. They spoke out just against the punishment that Sarver did and just spoke to the Sarver got and spoke to everything that just really uh, came out of the report, which was uh, horrifying on a lot of different levels. That same day, the mayor of Phoenix said th- that she was having the city staff investigate if they could really step in and do anything in this situation because they were very unsettled, like a, like the majority of us on this. The next day, PayPal, the Suns jersey patch sponsor, said they will not renew uh, their contract or whatever you want to phrase it as with agreement with the Suns if Sarver remained. Uh, And and then it slowed down a bit over the weekend in terms of anything else. It felt like we were getting something every single day. 
Draymond Green spoke out yesterday on his podcast and presented a very uh, interesting uh, what if here in terms of it would have been fun to see what happened if if there's a million reasons why it wouldn't happen. But Draymond proposed, hey, let's just have the owners vote on it and see the results of the vote, (laughs) which is like such a Draymond thing to say, like the most nuclear thing possible to elect happening. He shouts it out. But then today, uh, Robert Sarver releases the news. Uh, Gerald Borgay of uh, PHNX Sports had that out there first and just that Sarver's entire statement went through. But the main takeaway is that he is seeking buyers for the Suns and the Mercury, and now it is what comes next, which we'll get to in a little bit. But after that um, exhausting roll through just what occurred over this entire timeline, Kevin, what are your kind of just conclusions now on the, again, not not calling it the absolute end-all, be-all. There's still uh, formalities that need to occur, but the conclusion. What are your conclusions on the conclusion? Um, I want to go back for a second and get conspiracy theorists a little bit. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not defending Adam Silver. He did not do the best in that press conference. He looked, and I think Amin Alhassan kind of put it pretty well that he's never seen Adam Silver look so like shaken or not prepared or however you want to phrase it. To me, <clears throat> a couple points from what he said, um, and honestly, like his his comment on the owners being different than an employee is unfortunately true in some respects. Um, Dan Snyder still owns the Washington commanders. Um, as of today, when Robert Sarver volunteered basically to sell his team, um, he, he could have still been there. And I think there's truth to what he said. He just said it out loud. He shouldn't have said it probably. And that's why they came out with that PR statement. But beyond that, he, he laid a couple little, I don't know what you call them, hints at, at the why. And I think the why with the regarding to that statement about the legal findings didn't find animus or motivation for what Robert Sarver did. Um, I, I think he said, yeah, if they would have found that, I, w- I would have given a different penalty. And to me, that said a lot about NBA owners don't want to get into a legal battle if they don't think they can easily win. Um, If you think the owner of the random team, the Toronto Raptors, I don't even know who it is, wants to get in a fight with Robert Sarver, like he's wasting his time. I'm sure he feels that way. Even if he has moral beliefs that what Robert Sarver did was bad, like do you think there's a lot of reasons for all these owners to band together? They're rich dudes. They have enough problems probably. Um, they probably have enough dirt on themselves as lots of people do in these situations. Um, so I, I think Adam Silver, if you look at the timing of when this was released two weeks before media day, what he said was basically like, we don't have really a lot of legal high ground here. And then he goes out and he suspends him one year. This is really conspiracy theorists. Someone on Twitter, and I wish I remembered who did said this, if it was a random person, I don't know, said this could have been like the way he pissed off a lot of people on purpose. And that being like Adam Silver made the sentence light. So this got a lot of attention. I'm not saying that's true, but it's kind of makes sense if you look at it and look at the timing, because what the timing did was it gave the news cycle, which not much is going on, um, time for LeBron and Chris Paul to come out 
what was it you said day after day of the afternoon after Adam spoke. So it was Adam Silver, kind of players, MBPA. Um, Najafi was maybe the next day, like you said. And then sponsors react to the players and all that. And it just seemed very calculated. And like Chris Paul could have put that statement out immediately after that report, right? Yeah. Um, but he let Adam Silver speak. And then they put out their statement and then MBPA. So to me, everything seemed really coordinated and I could be making that up. Um, but they seem to have a plan um, between like at least the players. And I think that's really commendable no matter where, if this was Adam Silver's deal or the players, I think the players are like we talked about last podcast is super important. So I'll just say that they did their part and I think they put in a lot more thought than what we see, which is just like two tweets from Chris Paul or whatever. I think there's a lot more thought that goes into it. There's a lot of legal things where it's like, how do we do this without getting sued? And I think that should be considered. Um, Jumping to today though, like I I don't really know what to say other than it's, it's, freeing as we saw someone pop champagne in front of the arena um, for fans, for the employees in the Suns front office, especially not front office, just their entire organization. I mean, um, I I think those people got the biggest win today and then the fans got a win. um, And then from there, from a basketball perspective, I think it's a win where like there are questions about who owns this team, but I think we can all agree and we can talk about this in a little bit. Like, it's a desirable franchise to own. And for now, James and Monty Williams from a basketball perspective um, can just keep doing what they've been doing, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the, the two unanswerable questions to kind of what you alluded to, and we could really get answers. The first one would be what you're going with in terms of just how much of this was calculated is, is the right word that you use there. And then I think the second one would be, how much of what happened from the public eye impacted what happened today? Like how much of a percentage was it 15? Was it 30? Was it 40? Was it 60? Was it 80? Or was it even lower than any of those numbers? And it really just came on, came down to more things that were happening behind the scenes that never came out or haven't come out yet. Uh, We don't know. Uh, But the bottom line is uh, he is, I I don't want to say gone because there again, formalities still have to go, but he's seeking buyers for the team and, I think I can just say it confidently that this is a good thing for the franchise. I, I don't think I outright said that last episode, but just emphasize how much the NBA really just butchered the, the punishment for him. But with all of that in mind, you just kind of look back on the timeline of this. I, I wrote a column on the site and just how we didn't talk about this last week, how their statements in October and November with Baxter Holmes's stories, there were there were the statements most notably that came out before Holmes's story because there was Jordan Sh- Jordan Schultz starting the rumblings of like yo, there's a CSP GSPN story coming. That was a crazy day, and then the Suns put out statements before the story even came out, and there was their own statement which was saying that it was filled with lies and innuendo. There was Robert Sarver's statement which like was just I I phrased it as disgusting uh, in my column, and I stand by that just knowing everything that was confirmed by the league's investigation for him to say those things at the time, being the person who said and did the things that he said and did allegedly just um, awful. And and then Jason Rowley, the president as well, uh, backed that up, said outrageous and false, said half truths and all this kind of stuff for Holmes's reporting. 
and and false narratives used all those kinds of words uh and and to look back on those three statements which were all deleted uh, off of twitter they're still up on the sun's uh website themselves it's it's linked in our story and in my column to just kind of look back on those especially and then look back to today it's it's hard to deny that this is just like a really good thing for them for a myriad of reasons um something else i got into in the column as well is just how uh, hopefully I, I i know this is a, i i would say relief hopefully for the employees and ex-employees who went through the process of uh, participating in the league investigation uh t- helping baxter holmes with his story uh, giving him sources for that story however exactly like those employees next employees went about being involved in that procedure I, I don't really see how this would have ended on a satisfactory level for them without Sarver being outed just based on everything not not outed but uh, ousted I should say because he was outed and now he has been ousted uh, for him to have that I think that's only the only satisfactory result here for them and for them to not really get it and not get it in the fashion that they did after the investigation I, I know for a fact that a a lot of them were just really feeling it and were just feeling really discouraged for something where, as I phrased it in the column, like it was courageous for them to just kind of speak up on things and bring up past uh, things that they were, that were, that were pretty terrible for them to go through at the time and, and kind of relive and re-experience by, by participating uh, in that. And and now you look at the sun statement from today, which was in, in my opinion, a step in the right direction. People are still kind of criticizing the way that their statement today was phrased, but uh, the statement goes as follows. We agree that Robert Sarver's decision to sell the Suns and Mercury is in the best interest of the organization and community. We also know that today's news does not change the work that remains in front of us to create, maintain, and protect a best-in-class experience for our staff, players, fans, partners, and community. As we've shared with our employees, we acknowledge the courage of the people who came forward in this process to tell their stories and apologize to those hurt. We are on a journey that began before last November one that has included changes to leadership, staff, and accountability measures. While we are proud of our progress and the culture of respect and integrity we are building, we know there remains work to do and relationships to rebuild. We are committed to doing so for our staff, players, fans, partners, and this community. I I, I know a lot of fans will say it's late, um, but it it is better late than never in some situations. And this is one, yes, it would have been a lot better for them to go out and um, acknowledge the the courage for those people a lot sooner, but but at least you got it now. And mo- more importantly, at the bottom, to hear that there are already steps being taken on all different measures, right? Not only in terms of who's leading, who's in leadership there, but who's on staff, and then more specifically, accountability measures. I think that's a really important term to take out of their statement. Um, that that makes me, as someone who's looking at it from the outside, and hopeful that those people are not going to be entering. Uh, nearly as toxic of a workplace, let alone a toxic workplace at, at all. Uh, it, it does make me hopeful for that. And, and you know, Kevin, I, I can't remember who made this point, but it's spot on just in terms of the league. I, I know some of this is Sarver's decision who to sell to and everything, but the league ultimately will find someone who is like going to be perfect for this in terms of finding someone who has all the values that they're looking for that will represent the team, that will make sure the culture internally is where it needed to be, where it failed to be previously. And I think that that's something really positive that we can take out of this for anything. And, and just one more note that I have on it. Um, I didn't really think about it like this and, until I wrote it, but, and I've never thought of like the Suns and the Mercury like this, but for those of us who were born and raised in, in the Valley and, and love basketball, uh, you and I report on the team 
but we both hold that claim. The Suns and Mercury just represent basketball in Phoenix. The Lakers and Clippers represented in L.A., the Celtics represented in Boston, and and so on and so forth. Like, that's just the reality. They are the chief de facto representatives of the sport. So for the Suns to not have a such a glaring problem with the person who represents those representatives kind of on our behalf, right? Our behalf as people who have lived and who are born and raised in this state and care about basketball so much for that to be solved is, is just another thing to really take away from this, in my opinion. And as far as the future goes, how much does this help the Suns as an organization? We can, we can get into that, but I think Woj's tweet pointed out that this is a market that could become a serious free agent destination. And I think that what he was kind of alluding to without saying, saying it without saying it is that it was impossible for this place to be a free agent destination when Sarver was the owner. And, 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 and I think that that's not entirely wrong. Yeah. I mean, when they hired Monty, which was widely regarded as a good hire, I mean, you remember the press conferences about why would you come here? Like that, that should say it all about, how he impacted that franchise's reputation. Um, And and I think before we get often to basketball land, we should mention, um, I spent a lot of the last podcast talking about just reading all these examples. Not only is it a lot of examples of Robert Sarver's misgivings or that, I don't know if that's the right word, even very bad behaviors. Um, Every example pretty much had a, well, Robert Sarver was told he shouldn't do that. And he basically didn't listen or he did it again. And then he did it again. And then when you get to today, when he's having a shot at, you know what? I should do the best for this organization. I should sell the team. Um, which everyone can agree and everyone said it today. That's, that is the best for the team. Um, He went out and he doubled down on believing he can change and then saying um, in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that this is no longer possible as in him staying on. Um, Man, if, if it's unforgiving now, I don't know what to tell you. Um, If it's unforgiving for the first time and you've been forgiven 40 or however many times that one investigation uncovered, and there's probably more instances where it wasn't uncovered or talked about, I I don't know what to tell you. You're not learning your lesson. Like this is, this is like a child who just doesn't learn a lesson. And I think that that statement he put out perfectly encapsulates who he is and why he should go. Um, And I think we shouldn't overlook that fact that um, I think Mina Kimes put it perfectly. He got the cancel culture bingo with everything he said. He said he's a man of faith. I believe in atonement. Did the cancel culture thing. And yeah, you don't want to be a distraction, but you could have gone out and said, I'm sorry. And that's it. Say it in more eloquent words than me just now, but he didn't do that. So I think everyone kind of knew that that was his feeling based on even what Woj tweeted once after he was suspended, but he kind of confirmed 
everyone's thoughts about, okay, when, when he's done after a year of suspension, is he going to be a different person? And we all had doubts. It's, it's just him kind of confirming it, right? It's just confirming everyone's thoughts on this, confirming for lack of a better way to phrase it, just like the type of person that he's been. And when, when the sun statement originally came out, the one, the one in October, I, I remember kind of being like, okay, where's Sarber's statement? Cause I knew you just knew based on, based on everything that we're talking about here in the last like two minutes that there, that he was going to come out with something that was going to be even more kind of for lack of a better word, a- aggressive. And, and it was, and, and this kind of statement again, I mean, Kevin, it starts words that I deeply regret. And well, first of all, it's words and actions. It wasn't just words. I, he's just focusing on the words part of what was so wrong with everything that he did, but there were actions like physical things that he did that yeah. were wrong as well. And it's like, man, you use two words in, you just couldn't even, <laughs> couldn't even land the plane. You know what I mean? And, and then as a man of faith, all that at current unforgiving climate, cancel culture, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, that, that's where I wanted to end it too. I wanted to bring that up because it was just one of those things where you read it and you were like, yep, this is, this is who you are. And it just confirms even, even further how, and and now I agree with the, the back half of it, just in terms of as a neutral, you just hope that he can figure some of this stuff out. Right. And that I don't want to phrase it as a wake up call, because again, you referenced how many times it seemed like he should have gotten a wake up call, but you hope that just for the betterment of like the people that are around him, that that he's able to use this effectively and that whatever that was planned for his year suspension in terms of him going to things and classes and all that kind of self management things that he's still going to and and that he he figures some of this stuff out just for again for the betterment of the people around him and uh, I don't think I can say anything else other than that. Uh you have anything else to go on him before we kind of look ahead? No, let's do it. So is is, Je- is Jeff Bezos behind the scene, buddy? What's up? <laughs> that that one, I don't know if that'll go over well. I don't yeah, know. That, that wouldn't that wouldn't be. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm going to still ask to get helicoptered my Amazon Prime stuff sometime by a drone. I, I want that. But anyway, continue. Yeah, is there like a shuttle that'll take me to the games? Maybe. <laughs> like, is, I, Can I Amazon like Prime the shuttle to yeah. the? Yeah. When gas is six dollars and fifty cents next summer. Yeah. Um, something like that, please. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of waiting on a couple of different things here to develop. There was some really good reporting done throughout the day by a number of people, uh, our, our own John Gamadoro kind of kicked things off, just kind of looking at, okay, I think a, a lot of questions naturally come out of this. And and one of them is, okay, so him selling, what does that exactly mean? Does that mean that he is selling his stake, all of his stake? How, how exactly is it going to go here? And, and that's what Gambo uh, outlined. Spoke with the person close to the ownership group. Does Robert just sell his share or do the partners agree to sell the entire team? He owns 35%, so may not have legal authority to sell the whole team without agreement. Are there any buy-sell agreements in the partnership? So before you go to a third party, do you have offer to insiders or that have any rights to match a third party offer in the agreement. When Jerry Colangelo sold the team to Robert, there was no professional broker, but many sales are used now with a broker to maximize value and auction setting. Baxter Holmes went on to report a little bit more on the matter. I believe what he said was that even though Robert Sarver does not own the Phoenix Suns in full sources told ESPN that Sarver has the authority as the team's managing partner to sell the team in full. 
Currently, Sarver owns about one-third of the team. I think that's a pretty big, if you're looking for aftershock kind of bombshells there, th- those are a couple for sure. Uh, and, and then Ramona Shelburne followed up on that and said, very important point, Sarver controls this sale just like Shelly Sterling controlled the sale of the Clippers to Steve Ballmer in 2014. The other owners will have to approve, but Sarver will choose amongst the bids. But I, I think all of that is reporting and sound Kevin, but I think I'll go back to the point I made about 10 minutes ago with that. The league is going to make sure to get the right name here, right? You cannot in this kind of situation, just like with Ballmer, you cannot afford to bring in someone that has any sort like the amount of that's why like I'm joking about Bezos because of the controversies that he's been involved with already. Like it just seems like you can eliminate him immediately. Even if his name is getting brought up, it just nothing like that kind of makes sense. Iger has been brought up the owner of Disney and, ABC and all that stuff, I believe. But I think that's kind of the clear thing here is that the important takeaway is Baxter's reporting right there that it can be sold in full. And then I think two is that while it has to be approved by the owners and it's Sarver's choice amongst the bidders, they are going to, you can't say go find the perfect fit, Kevin, but they're going to find as perfect of a fit as they possibly can. Yeah. And I think it, that's where it gets crazy because I think it matters who's part of the ownership group relate. I sound like a, such a business bro, but relationships matter. Um, I think that, you know, someone um, floated like magic Johnson. Like if he wants to buy a piece of a team, for example, like he's not the richest dude in the world, but he has relationships. Right. So those types of things matter. And to me, I, I mean, do, I, I think the most interesting part of this being from here and kind of knowing the history decently well, as long as I've been alive is just not so much the value of this team, but I I think Woj is right in that they will get a lot of interest because like, what right now you've got a built in like title contender already Um, branding, like you and I know like as big as the NFL is here, the Suns carry weight um brand new practice facility recently renovated arena like the there's taxes from a being able to recruit players i mean that's (laughs) kind of down the line we don't pay taxes everyone i don't know if you've heard i've never paid taxes here being i'm just kidding but um, (laughs) yeah i i mean i think it's super interesting to see if it that kind of stuff and this probably doesn't float around on the twitterverse like Woj doesn't find out but i'd love to find out if this becomes a bidding war between two like Bezos and I don't know, Bill Gates, I don't, I don't think Bill Gates is going to buy a team, but stuff like that is super interesting to me. I just hope Bob Iger like walks into whatever office he has to walk into and has someone like, uh, what are those things called where like they, they move things in a, in like a, uh, Oh my God, I'm butchering this so bad. Uh, in like a warehouse, you like slide things under them. Like it's a slab of something and you like use it to move it. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm trying okay. to talk about the huge cube of money from Breaking Bad. Like he just wheels that into an office. Just says, yeah. Here is $6 billion. I would like I will, this. I, <laughs> I will take the Phoenix teams. Suns for I'll six basketball teams. <laughs> I will take two basketball teams for $6 billion, please. Uh, in terms of numbers, uh, the athletic Mike Vorkanov wrote a piece. Uh, early estimates indicate that both teams could sell for more than $3 billion. Huh. Um, I am very novice in terms of just this field of uh, 
buying, selling professional sports teams, but I will say that it's a very rare thing to happen. And the only recent two examples of it happening in the NBA are because of controversy, Robert Sterling and, and now Robert Sarver, because these things are extremely profitable. And there was a break. Um, I can't remember exactly when, but Bill Simmons was really, really good about like uh, digging into this stuff and being interested in like presenting it to his audience where these things just like the profit on them kind of turned in this crazy direction. I don't know if it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but just it, that alone, just for like as, as a business opportunity for these types of people, Kevin, um, and these types of people for better or worse, you, you get what I'm saying. The, these types of people that are billionaires, Kevin, with a boat, because to, to buy something for a $3 billion or $4 billion, you need to be a billionaire. That's kind of how it works. And I understand they'll divvy up shares of ownership and everything. Just let me let me have my point before you start typing back at me on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this and just really intrigued to see again. I, I'm I'm with you. I I don't think we're going to hear much about it at all. The Balmer thing, from what I remember, kind of just happened out of nowhere. But I mean, man, we'll see. I guess we'll, we'll see what comes out, what doesn't. But in terms of just cooperation, I think the bottom line, I think for everyone to kind of understand in terms of a timeline and how we look at this and the investigation, Kevin, I think me and you that day kind of said the same thing. Like, do not expect this to come in three months or four months or three weeks like this is going to be at least six months and don't be surprised if it goes longer than a year i'm not willing to put that high of a timeline on this but i will say that sarver's like year suspension kind of gives that time automatically as it is already you know so like it it's going to it's going to come with time and it's just a matter of how it comes but yeah i think you you hit the nail on the head in terms of I what I meant to kind of say there Kevin is that any NBA team like it could be the Kings that were up for sale and like they'd be all over it you know what I mean like that well, would just not the Kings but be no that no it would be the I Kings know. that's what I'm, I'm trying to say I'm, I know you make we can make Kings jokes but I just want to like emphasize <laughs> how lucrative owning an NBA team is and then you look at the Suns you look at everything that's been changed positively about them for the last three to four years, not only from a basketball operations standpoint, but from, but from the facilities standpoint and all that kind of stuff, they've got a lot going for them right now, which we've all obviously talked about um, a bit. All right. Let's you want to talk about media day now and how we're still going to talk about Robert Sarver then, even if this thing's kind of over, you want to get into it? Yeah. But first, Kevin, the big news of the week, the news that we should have started the podcast with. Frank Jackson is going to be a member of the Phoenix Suns. Your thoughts? I don't. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Frank Jackson uh, signed a non guaranteed deal with the Suns. Uh, he's a guard out of Duke. Uh, he was. He's one of those guys who was on your. Uh, I believe Kevin on your on your Darius Garland qualifier where he did a bunch of Team USA stuff when he was younger and was a highly sought after recruit, highly ranked that kind of kid. Never really came to fruition at Duke in terms of just like the modern point guard, combo guard, whatever you're kind of looking for out of him. He goes in the early second round to New Orleans, sits out his rookie year, and then plays a lot for New Orleans the next two years. Doesn't really have a certified role, but he's always finding playing time. And then he goes to Detroit for two years where, again, he found playing time. And and his his statistical resume isn't really that impressive, I think, the main thing to understand is the three-point shooting is inconsistent for anyone like him who's going to come in and not be on the ball a ton. 
He shot 41% from three, two seasons ago for Detroit, but then last year was at 31%, a whole 10% drop off, which is kind of all over the place. And then he was below 33% for his first and second years playing uh, for new Orleans. He comes in on a non-guaranteed deal. The Suns have one roster spot open. They still do after this, he's a training camp invite. Basically he's basically on an exhibit 10, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure exactly what the terminology is behind non-guaranteed deal. But you'll remember that uh, you remember Chase on Randall last year. Uh, they brought in Chase on Randall last year. They had an open spot. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy makes sense. Sure. Uh, and then they didn't, they didn't wind up bringing him in, kept the roster spot open. And it's kind of a similar situation here where they get another body uh, and 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 they'll see. But if, if there was one place for them to add someone, Kevin, in terms of a training camp body or two to like just get a free look, see uh, guard was it for sure, I think. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, the statistics aren't eye-popping anywhere really but the fact that he plays significant time um in reserve roles means that he's trustworthy coaches like him he does the right thing um turnover numbers are pretty low so yeah i mean take a flyer on him but like if you will get dwayne washington jr that type of guy has more upside pop um you gotta look at him on the scouting report a little bit if you're the other team if he's gonna be in the rotation and yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into some of the guard rotation stuff here in a minute in terms of looking at media day and kind of a preview ahead of the preview for, for the, for the season ahead. But I, I do think that that's an important thing that to pick up on is that this guy always played where he was and he has a way of just winning over his coaches. And, and it was a guy when I watched him, I was like, Oh yeah, he's solid. Like he's an NBA player. That's fine. And, and just never uh, popped for me, but beyond that. So I I would not be surprised if he got that 15th spot, but I I wouldn't bet on it just because of how they always kind of have have proven to to like that spot. But certainly someone who you can see the idea and you can see how he could take that 15th spot. I think it makes a lot more sense than a situation like last year with with Randall, for example, who was more of an overseas uh, guy at that point. Okay, Kevin. So I sent you a list of seven or eight things that I believe are kind of like storylines for next week for media day and like stuff that we're going to be writing about kind of previewing the season, looking at specific guys as training camp kind of gets underway and stuff. Obviously media day is going to be primarily about Sarver. It still is going to be um, for the people who just want to talk about basketball. I don't know if you know any of those types of people, Kevin, you co-host a podcast with one of them. It's kind of a bummer still that we're, but it's, it's going to take, it's going to be a little bit of a turn. The questions are still going to get asked, but I do think that we're going to be focused a little bit more on basketball that day. This questions to be clear should be asked uh, about Sarver. Uh, for for the people who haven't spoken up specifically, which is everyone but Chris, um, at, at this point, so I don't I don't think we need to start there or talk about it anymore. But beyond Sarver, what is the number one thing out of the seven or eight things I sent you? We're going to kind of get into all of them here a little bit more rapid fire on a few of them. A few of them will expand a bit more. What's one you want to expand on? Uh, it's got to be Da. Yeah, right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I was typing out stuff and I was like, oh yeah, he hasn't talked. Uh, the guy who got benched in the final game, the guy who they didn't really seemingly want. And then when no other options appeared in front of them, they're like, I guess we'll keep you on the max. Um, whether that's relationships with Monty and James after all that, whether that's what's your role, because we're paying you a lot of money. Um, are we going to involve you more? Are you going to take more responsibilities in certain things, or are you just going to be a rim rolling screen setting guy still and get paid to do that? And are you fine with that? 
Um, yeah, it's gotta be DA and I can't believe, yeah, like, man, that it's weird that you like asked that. And I was like, what has happened? My brain has just been <laughs> over the past week, just conditioned to not think about anything else. Yeah. Cause DA was it, it. I find it for me. I don't know how your brain works and how our listeners brains worked. I'd be curious to hear their thoughts on this too. If they like reply to the tweet from the, from the podcast originally, but just how you process stories when they happen and what I mean, or after they happen. And what I mean by that is Deandre was the story for a week or so. And I think when something is the story, it gets dumped off easier out of our brains. I don't know why. I think the middling stuff kind of hangs a little bit more for, for my brain personally. So yeah, I just hadn't even thought about it at all for a couple of weeks here. And then I was like, Oh yeah, like this is probably the biggest thing that's going to come out of the day. And I know I mean, myself, go ahead. I think it was just like, on everyone's mind as soon as they exited. And that was the only thing we talked about until the KD thing reared its head, which was, I mean, related at first um, briefly, but I I just think all of us are like, I don't want to think about this anymore. We've talked about it for two straight months during the dead of the summer. Uh, That's my excuse. Anyway. Yeah, the one thing that I'm, I know I'm going to ask, or, or uh, if I have the opportunity to ask, I should say, because someone else might, is just his role specifically and how he feels about it. And he'll say what he's going to say, but it is going to be interesting to hear if he does say, because DeAndre will be outspoken from time to time for sure, if he will say, like you said, like, are you comfortable just playing the role that you have the last two years or with everything that's gone on? Do you want to see an expanded role more like you've alluded to? And that's going to be something we'll we'll hear from him on monday uh do we even mention the kd i, I should have wrote down the kd stuff here i mean cam and mikhail and those guys are probably going to get asked about it maybe money might money talked about it i believe on another podcast or another interview a couple of weeks ago um james jones talked about it with wayne rankin um but i guess james will get asked about it if he speaks but i mean again we've talked about that ad nauseum kevin there's nothing for them to say on it anymore right it might be asked. I don't think they're going to say anything. I, I just don't think they have anything of value to say. You know, like I, I just don't think there will, there will be anything there. Uh, let's go with power forward, huh? Let's talk about that a bit. I think yeah. in terms of position battles, evaluating the roster, depth charts, things like that, who's going to play where, who's going to feature more. I think power forward is a big one. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will know I have been a Jay Crowder defender forever. I've always preached the importance of his uh, value on both ends of the floor. That has not changed for me, uh, but what it, what has changed for me personally and to this becoming much more of a real discussion, in my opinion, than it was last year uh, is just how much this team kind of needs a little bit of something to change, a little bit more offense. And I think that's where Cam Johnson slots in. The numbers are just so convenient last year that when he was when he played as a starter, he was awesome. And I think, Kevin, to be more detailed and, and niche about kind of this discussion, Cam is someone who when he gets hurt, it takes him a while. Like he'll come back, but it'll take a while. And what happened is he got hurt at the end of last year and then he never got it back. Um, last year he, he did. Um, he, he sort of did to, to a certain extent, but you'll remember like even he sat out for like, what was it? It was food poisoning, right? At, at the end of the Western conference finals. And, oh. and then, in the, and then in the final or two years ago, sorry, uh, in the finals, um, I, I don't think he was exactly the same player he was, which was like this crazy impactful. He was a, in that Clipper series. He was tremendous. Um, but it's he's just someone where I think 
looking at him as a starter, I just think from a rhythm standpoint and just uh, everything like that, it just seems like it, it flows with his game better just based on what we've gotten to know from him so far in his, in his couple of seasons here in Phoenix so far. But then that's why I look at Jay and I'm like, well, I feel the same way about Jay. Like Jay is much better as a starter than he is coming off the bench. There were a couple of games where he did come off the bench because he was coming back from an injury. And it, it kind of was interesting, like how his playmaking offensively um, kind of, kind of slid in and how it impacted the game positively. But with that in mind, I think this becomes a thing where, okay, I think probably Cam Johnson has to start. And then I think that probably means you need to move Jay as, as well. Did, let me, let me start there with you. Do you think that it can work if they just start cam and then have Jay come off the bench? Do you think that's I feasible? Mean, I think if I put aside everything that's come out of Jay Crowder's social media, account, <laughs> um, look, he, Jay has talked about like, managing his body and being kind of older and being through these long postseason runs with the teams the last few years. And like, I, I think he honestly might be more effective as like ball of energy guy off the bench. I know he doesn't, he's not like Lou Amundsen who's like jumping all over the place or anything, everything like that. But I think he can make it work if he's willing to do that. Um, the cam thing is super interesting though. Cause I think there are a couple ways to view it. One is he does have injury issues. Can he sustain himself as a starter um, for a full season? I don't know the answer to that. And then the other thing on that is I think cam, like just look from a basketball standpoint, if you put that a top five NBA three point shooter with that starting lineup, that kind of negates the we've talked about it. There's a little awkwardness when this team doesn't have a stretch five. Um, if you have one guy who's that elite, that, that helps DA operate in the mid post that helps him rim run. Um, I, I just don't see a downside to cam starting, I guess. And I think if they're like Brian Windhorse reported, if they're talking about extending him and giving him, I don't know, millions, a few millions, a handful of millions off of what Mikel makes because he's a pretty darn good player. Um, then you got to consider if that guy's a starter, if you're paying him that money. Let me bounce it back to you for 30 seconds here real quickly. What do you make of the, the fit defensively? Cause I think we have to like briefly mention that. Cause that's where Jay is so important, but I think that on ball, that's where Jay gets flack sometimes because people watch him on the ball and there are certain quicker matchups, obviously, that present issues to him. But I do think that Jay is still a much better defender. Cam has improved a lot, but I think that there's a noticeable, not noticeable, there's a flat out drop off there defensively, in my opinion. And I look forward to Cam Johnson proving me wrong like he has a million times about his game in a million different ways already. Um, but I think Jay... As like an on-ball defender, I think people underrate him, and I do think that there's a little, there's a significant drop off there defensively. Or are you with me there, or do you think Cam's a little bit better, Jay's a little bit worse? Like, where are you at? Um, on that thing? I I think that if you look at like the Pelican series and the playoffs, there's definitely like Jay can certainly match up with specific guys, but I, I don't think it's like a gonna ruin how the other four guys operate. If that makes sense, I, I think. They trust Cam for a reason. And I think that, you know, on ball, off ball, he's pretty darn solid, knows where to be. And yeah, maybe if that's like, he's not jumping passing lanes, he's not 
looking 10 steps ahead, they're going to miss something, but I don't think it's going to be like detrimental where the offensive side is not going to be worth it. If that makes sense. I think the offensive side make up for it is what I'm saying. I like the way you put it there because I think that Jay's inclusion the last two years and helping Mikel and Deandre, because Mikel said something one time about Jay in terms of how much Jay helps him see stuff has helped him see stuff. And he said, like, particularly off ball, but then he said, like, even on ball. And it's like, you're like, well, you're Mikel Bridges. Like, your on ball defense is better than almost anyone in the league. Like, I don't think there is anyone better on ball defensively than him. Like, what, no offense to Jay Crowder, but like, and Jay's seen everything and knows everything in the league. But then you remember, it's like, no, like, Jay has like these little things that he's learned over the course of that he can give to any young guy in the league and it'll make them a much better defender. This is a much greater example, but I remember there's the example, uh, Kevin Garnett talked about this. Kobe Bryant was at the all-star game and Gary Payton during like the all-star practice just showed him a hand checking thing for like two minutes. And then Kobe came to KG and was like, Oh my God, like Gary Payton showed me. And then it just like changed the way that like they defended forever. And and I think that's a, it's a much grander example. Gary Payton's one of the best defensive players of all time, all that kind of stuff. Of course. Then Kobe went on to have a really illustrious career as just a defender alone. KG did too, but Jay Jay has been that type of guy for the last two years, and I do think that makes it easier to move him out just because of DeAndre and Mikel being able to learn from him. And then I also think it should be mentioned like Chris is there still as like the veteran backbone, the guy on the weak side kind of playing that safety role a little bit more is kind of where Chris winds up because Mikel winds up on the ball and and, and so forth. But I do kind of lean towards where I was saying, Kevin, in terms of I, I I don't think it's tenable as much with Jay coming off the bench. Just I think mostly to do with with him personally, and he he should be offended. To be honest, he's been great for two years. They've done nothing but win. He's done nothing but help them win for two years. So for him to get moved to the bench or have anything like that, I think he should be offended. Um, and his Twitter suggests that something, whether it's a contract extension or this possible move, is is bothering him. A bit. He's favoriting tweets that have him jersey photoshopped to other teams or just the fact that he used to play for the Mavericks or the Heat or whoever. So it's just a picture of him in that old jersey. Um, but that's where you look at Brian Windhorst reporting earlier this week that the Suns are still active in trade talks. They're willing to spend. And then he brought up the fact that Jay Crowder's name has been someone who's available right now on the market. And then Gambo has been reporting uh, for the past month uh, plus that, that Crowder's name has been out there as well. And then Gambo and Windhorse have both reported Gambo earlier, or Windhorse this week, that Boyan Bogdanovich has been someone the Suns have talked about. And we haven't talked about him on the podcast yet. It kind of brought up in a gap with us, and I just want to kind of emphasize for two minutes how good Boyan Bogdanovich is. He's just a, one of the better offensive players in the league, just for a reference point of him as a shooter. I looked up the guys who just in the last, like, 10 years have averaged at least five threes a game, right? Looking at guys who took five threes a game in the last uh, 20 years, actually. Uh, Boyan is 12th in three-point percentage amongst all those guys, 39.2. The only shooters above him, Kyrie, CJ McCollum, Buddy Beal, Buddy Heald, Ray Allen, Peja Stoyakovic making the cut, Kevin. you love to see that. Duncan uh, Robinson, Tyrese Halliburton, J.J. Redick, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Desmond Bain. So, like, he is he is an elite, elite shooter. Some of his numbers are are. Uh, just berserk in terms of his percentages in certain areas. He shot 52% from the corner in Indiana. His first year actually was 47. And then he went on to be 52, 46, 42, and 41 from the corners. 
Uh, and then as a scorer, he would come in and be the Suns' second best guy getting to the line automatically. Uh, his numbers aren't amazing there, but he, he gets to the line about four times a game the last three years. And that would be something the Suns have desperately need. We've talked about a ton. There are questions defensively in a quote unquote starting five, or even not looking at a starting five. Let's say Cam starts, Boyan comes off the bench in this scenario. Boyan's the worst defender of those six guys. It's pretty easy to say that. But with that in mind, I don't think he's a complete slouch there. I think he's more below average than terrible. And then I think offensively, just the benefits here, we were watching him against Croatia or with Croatia, rather, when we were watching Dario Saric, Kevin, and like he can move the ball and he makes smart decisions. He doesn't really turn it over that much for being a guy who's on the ball all the time. He averaged under two turnovers per game for Utah the last two years when he was more of in this supplementary role, still averaging 17, 18 points per game. I think he makes a a whole lot of sense for exactly what we talked about post KD, which is just, you needed an injection of offense somewhere and just another ball handler, just another score, something like that. And now it comes down to, to price Kevin, unless you object, but does it just come down to price at this point? Cause the fit makes a lot of sense to me. What is he making? 19 point, like 3 million. So you, you'd have to trade Crowder, for example, throw someone else in there. And yeah, I think, Regardless of how you view that power forward spot, if you have one of him or Cam Johnson on the floor at all times, holy moly. Like, uh, I honestly think we're talking about um, in-house upgrades with Dario bringing back more of a stretch five look. Like, if you have a stretch five with the stretchiest of fours that you can have, whichever one of Johnson or Boyanovich that is, then... Man, I think that is a drastic change that matters a lot. And it's like pretty close to whatever they could add as far as a ball handler that both of us have kind of been asking for for the past three years. So, yeah, I think you got to go look at it, see what Utah wants. You got first round picks. Um, All of them, Kev. They got all of them. They're one of them. Two or three teams that have all of them, which I know they're lower picks, but that says something. If not now, when, Kevin? That's the proclamation well, I make. You know who? Uh, so I'm going to take them out of the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, but you know. So I mentioned that list guys who have taken five threes a game all time in their career, sorted by three point percentage. Boyan's 12th. You know who is 14th and 15th on that list, Kevin? No idea. Percentage. Landry Shaman and Cameron Johnson, right oh. there. Now, Landry might be included in said hypothetical deal, but I mean, you imagine bench slash starter units where those three guys are on the floor in terms of spacing, assuming Landry has a comeback season shooting, shooting the ball at the very least, which I'm definitely expecting. You imagine those three guys on the floor with Devin Booker or Chris Paul from a spacing perspective. Holy cannoli, as they say. Uh, let's save a couple of these for next week, Kevin, because we're going to get into training camp stuff. But was there one, it, one, just one rapid fire one you wanted to bring up in terms of fans like looking to Monday and seeing who talks and who says what any, any guys you're looking at specifically, any player, any storyline, what are you looking at? Let's end on a positive. Um, I'm curious to see where Dario's at just his off season playing for Croatia. If they say things like Dario's going to be a big part of our team. Um, Cause like, again, Dario's contracts expiring. Um, if there's, honestly still looking to make moves he could still be in that conversation so i think we might get some sense of really how they're kind of 
how much they're leaning on him, I guess. And like, like we talked about, like there were memes out there about Kevin Durant's not coming. So now we look toward Dario being back, which was kind of a joke, but also it's, is a serious thing. And I think I want to learn whether they see it the same way. I, I like the way you phrased it at the very end there in terms of how they see it. Cause I'm curious how the, how the team and Monty just, one of those things where I want to ask Monty about Josh Okoji, Damian Lee, and Jock Landale as players and see how he chooses his words there and how he's going to perhaps utilize them. He probably won't go that far. But I do think that when Okoji and Lee specifically signed, that was maybe the one moment out of any others, Kevin, where I was like, oh, they're getting Kevin Durant. Like they're getting, because they, they already have four wings and that's two more. But Okoji and Lee are on the smaller side, and they can slide in more as twos, but it's just this team has such an overwhelming need for ball handlers. I just hesitate as to how they can get time there. But I will say that if they play some lineups where just campaigns doing everything or Devin Booker's doing everything or Chris Paul's doing everything or it's Landry Shamit doing everything, and they want to just go really heavy with the intangibles and more of like the offense that Damian Lee provides or just more of the straight-out defense that Josh Okoji provides – I, I'm interested to see what they say in terms of their roles and then what Monty says about their roles, what guys like Chris and Devin say about their additions, because I know Okoji and Lee are two guys in particular that those guys are obviously familiar with. They've been in the league for a couple of years. They've seen Lee on the Warriors. They've seen Okoji in Minnesota. And, and then Landale is, is a guy, too. I want to hear what Monty says about him, because I, I do think that there's still a chance that Dario is involved in some of these trade talks and in these negotiations. I do think that he's going to be an important part of the team if he's on the team next year but they do have stuff they got to get done still and 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 that's where Bismack can just naturally slide in as a backup center and then some nights it's Landale possibly uh but I'm interested to kind of read into things way too much when people say four words Kevin or, or 14 or 12 seconds long you know like that that's that's how we do things here you know not speculation based but we we read into things no. too much no speculation no never Ever the speculation era for us, it it was a it was a troubling time, but we're out of it, and we vow never to return. All right, buddy, this was fun. Basketball's kind of sort of back. First day of school is on Monday, but it we're we're kind of there. I'm I'm really excited. If you can't tell, this Monday, not like next Monday. This Monday, the Suns play their pr- first preseason game, Kevin, a week from Saturday. Isn't that crazy? Ooh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? We are less than two weeks away from the return of Suns basketball in that kind of uh, light. Sunday, actually, by the way, uh, a week from Sunday, got one day off. I'm still in pre preseason training camp mode, Kevin. Uh, we're going to figure it out, though, and we hope you, those of you still listening along, will stick with us uh, through the rest of the season. It is going to be another exciting year to say the least. I know things can trend positive or negative in certain directions based on the way the team is performing, but from a excitement standpoint, I'm I'm thrilled to have the basketball team back and it's going to be a really fun year covering of of, what we should say, Kevin, it's going to be a really, really good basketball team again. We we just don't know how, how good, but they're, they're going to be really good. Probably. All right, buddy. Uh, Next week. Will you, will you talk to me on a podcast then please? Post media day. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Whatever day works. We'll see what the, okay. what the people say. You know, sometimes we're just sitting in that room for four hours and nothing comes out of it much. We'll see. I don't know. All right. Well, we'll be back next week, everyone. Goodbye.